Amen. And before we pray together, we're going to pray for Michael Hinton, who's come back to Highlands. He's the lead pastor now at High Desert Church in Vacaville. He's going to be preaching today. And we're going to pray for him and for God's word to just lift up that praise that we just had, we, we just sung out, that praise for the debt that's been paid and that we would be enriched in our faith today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for bringing Michael here. Uh, that it is so encouraging to see the way in which he stepped out in faith and answered the call to be lead pastor at a, a, a church that, uh, that is just like this one, uh, leaning in on your word, seeking for your, your guidance, and that we could all be like him, be vessels of your love to one another, that we could be uh, just envelopes carrying the good news uh, to the doorsteps of those who have no knowledge that, Lord Jesus, you have paid it all. That, that there's nothing that could keep us from you. Uh, that, Lord, you are drawing us into you, and by the power of your love, you are overcoming all of the darkness and all the pain of this world. And so we praise you, God, that uh, today we get to be filled up with the truth of that love, and that our hearts will be softened, we know that, by your Spirit working through Michael. And we praise you, God, and pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people, shout it. Amen. Amen. All right, please have a seat and welcome to Highlands again. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So I just remembered that um, my very first sermon here um, five years ago, uh, I had chewing gum in my mouth. And I spit it out and when I was, I was talking and it hit somebody. And so I learned, I thought I learned my lesson five years ago, but I had some in my mouth. So I just swallow it. So you're safe. You're all safe. So you learned. Oh, anyway, so hi. Good morning, Highlands Church. Man, so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, if this is your first time here at Highlands or you've been here a long time, and you're like, who's this weirdo up on stage? Uh, let me get all the particulars out of the way. My name is Michael Henson. I get the uh, honor and privilege of being the lead pastor at uh, High Desert Church. So High Desert Church is located in Victorville, California. So up uh, in the desert area, it's very brown. It's not like Paso. There is no, uh, there's no green up there or wine. So whatever. Um, <laughs> No, and so we're, we're one church located in four different areas of the high desert, Apple Valley, Phelan, and Hesperia. We're about 12,000 uh, weekend attendants, and I lead our largest campus there in Victorville. So uh, many moons ago, five years ago, I, um, Highlands Church, plucked this uh, young 26-year-old immature weirdo out of Owensboro, Kentucky to come to California and it was my very first ministry job out of college was right here in this place. And so, um, so privileged. I was the director of student ministry. They paid me to goof off with students, people. <laughs> so, you know, the joke's on them. So, no. Um, I'm married. I have a beautiful, beautiful, she's the love of my life. Her name is Erica. And then we have three beautiful kids. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There they are. I'm really dark on the screen anyways. Uh, <laughs> So that's Kira. Uh, that's our oldest. She's nine. Uh, our youngest, Ashlyn. She's six. And the son, he's for sale. So don't worry about him. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. His name is Cohen. He's three. He's, uh, he's a joy. Anyways. <laughs> just kidding. All right. So let's, let's get into what we're getting here today. I hope you're ready for some church. If you're ready for some church, say amen. 
All right, here we go. Everybody say with me, trust issues. Man, you say that like you have them. Okay, so a trust issue is any time that somebody close to you, maybe a family member or a friend, maybe they hurt you, maybe they said something that hurts your feelings, or maybe they abandoned you in some way, maybe they let you down, maybe you have a spouse hypothetically, who says they love your cooking, that you're the greatest cook ever, you're the sexiest cook ever, and then you find them throwing away your food after you've cooked for them. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. She won't be here to the 11 o'clock service. So anyways, (laughs) I'll change that later. But uh, so what ends up happening is that you take this betrayal and you're a little bit more cautious, right? You're a little bit more cautious the next time. You're a little bit more guarded. You're a little bit more skeptical towards the intentions of others. Now, here's the problem. Here's where trust issue becomes a real problem is when you start to project that hurt onto somebody else, right? You, you, when you project that hurt you've experienced and you, you put it on other people. Like, um, I was hurt so long ago, so now because I was hurt by a certain type of person and you look like that type of person, I'm not going to trust you. Or somebody said something just like that, and because you just said it, now I'm done with you forever, right? We begin to project our trust issues on other people. That's how a trust issue works. Now, here's the thing. None of us came into this world with trust issues at all. Like, I don't know if you knew that or not, but you didn't start this life with trust issues. Like, as a baby, you just trusted that whatever your parents were giving you, was good, right? You didn't think that that bottle was contaminated or anything like that, right? You just took it in. You took those hugs and those juggles, some of you, those drops, whatever it was, right? You took it, you held on to it. You didn't trust. You didn't have a, I mean, you did trust. You didn't have a trust issue. See, trust issues are things that developed over time. And what ends up happening is that we have interactions with others that end up letting us down, and it teaches us that maybe we should be a little bit more guarded. When I was a junior in high school, I was a loser, just so you know, Um, not as cool as I am now, and uh, so when I was a junior in high school, I had no intentions of going to our junior uh, year prom at all, none whatsoever, but there was this girl, her name was Priscilla, she was the most beautiful girl in all of our high school. I'm pretty sure she was the most beautiful girl in all of the state of Florida, okay, that's where I'm from, born and raised. And so uh, I just thought, you know, there, I, don't even, I don't even know if I should even go to prom because I, don't, I was like a quiet kid and I didn't have friends or anything like that. So like, I, didn't, I knew that if I'd asked her to prom, she'd say no. I knew if I even asked the school janitor to prom, he'd say no. <laughs> like it wasn't going to happen, okay? But you know what? For some reason, I just got the courage. I don't know what it was. I just got the courage to ask her. So I went up to her. And maybe she just had pity on me. I would have had pity on me. But I went up to her and I said, Priscilla, will you go to the prom with me? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, you said yes. I don't really know what to do right now. (laughs) This is interesting. So I used to work at this store. I don't know if if there were any out here in the West Coast called Winn-Dixie. It was a grocery store way back when. Okay, I was a bagger and I took on every single shift known to man because I was going to make the biggest impression on Priscilla. I mean, she was the most beautiful girl. It's my junior year. I only got two more years to go and then I'm out. So I got to win her heart now. So I went out 
and I got a tux, and I got a corsage, and I got, I rented a car for us, and I'm, man, and so Naples, Florida, if you've never been to the East Coast and to Florida, they have gorgeous beaches. That's where I'm born and raised, gorgeous beaches. They're not as beautiful as the West Coast, but they're gorgeous back there, okay? West is best, just remember that. Um, and so I had this whole plan. We'd go to the beach first, walk on the, around the ocean so that we could have, you know, that moment and then go to the prom and then go back to the beach, okay? So we go to the beach, we eat on the, on the, on the, um, we eat on the coast there. It's gorgeous. It's a great night. We're, I'm making her laugh. She was saying things like, man, I didn't even know you were this funny. I didn't even know you existed until now. Like, this is awesome. And so we're having a great night. We go to prom. We dance our night away. It's so great. So we go back to the beach. We're walking on the beach barefooted. We're just talking and having a great conversation. And her eyes are glistening. My eyes are glistening. Like, I just know this is the moment to pop the question, like to make her mine. So I look her in the eye and I say, Priscilla, will you marry me? (laughs) I mean, look. When you're a junior in high school and you're a loser and you have no friends, you got to take your chances when they come, okay? You got to lock that stuff down now, okay? And she said, literally, she said no and then walked to the car and did not talk to me for the three-hour ride back home at all. It was real quiet. And so it it was damaging. So I said I would never ask anybody to marry me again. And then I met my wife, and I had to. So, But that's what trust issues are. That's how people find up alone. You see, I'm wondering if there's anyone in the house today, and by house, I'm, I'm referring to the church is what I call it, the house. If I wonder if anybody in the house today, if you've experienced where somebody you trusted and loved broke your trust. So you thought to yourself, you know what? If I can't trust them, then who can I trust? So when our trust has been broken multiple times over and over, we find ourselves in this very lonely position where we have trouble trusting anyone, so therefore we isolate from everyone. In fact, it's getting so bad in our world that people are now starting to track this downward trend of trust. There's a website called ourworldanddata.com who uh, did a survey back in 1976. I wasn't born, so maybe you guys were part of the survey. I wasn't. Uh, But in 1976, 44% of our population said that people could be trusted. But in 2016, that goes down to 32%. According to Pew Research Center, they asked the question, generally people, generally speaking, would you say that most people can be trusted or you just can't be too careful with dealing with people today? Well, 40% of baby boomers out there said, yeah, yeah sure, people can be trusted. But millennials, 19% said that people can be trusted. And get this, it gets even crazier. MSNBC recently, as of last year, took a survey. 70,000 people they surveyed. And of those 70,000, 28% of men and 18% of women claimed to have an affair. And those are just the ones who are willing to admit it. So that tells me that our, those percentages are probably higher. And the trust factor is probably a lot lower. So for the sake of this message, here's what I want. This is the, message, mess, the idea I want you to understand. That if the currency of our economy, generally on the, the, the West here, is the dollar, then the currency of our relationship is trust. 
If the currency of our economy is the dollar, then generally the currency of our relationship is trust. Trust has to be earned. Trust doesn't necessarily come really quickly. In fact, if someone says to you, hey, just trust me, you should probably not trust them, okay? That's just a, I'm just going to throw that out there. You can pay me later for that, okay? Trust is kind of like a sandcastle. You take a long time to build up a sandcastle. You work really hard. You make it look super nice, right? And then the waves come, and it takes one little wave to knock it all out. That's what trust is like. And the same can be true for our relationship. It takes days, weeks, months, and even years to build up a trust in person. But all it does, it takes one moment, one conversation, one action, one indiscretion, and it can be all wiped out. The currency in our relationship is really, really fragile, really fragile. And I would say that the most of us who are listening here in the house this morning would probably say of ourselves, we would generally all think that we're trustworthy people. I mean, if you were to say to me, if I were to say to you, Michael, or you, your name is not Michael, some of you might be, but if I were to say to you, hey, I'm a trustworthy person, then you could ask me, well, have you ever broken anyone's trust? And I would have to answer, yeah. Whether it was intentional or not, I, I, I have broken people's trust. You see, the dilemma we find ourselves in is that we've had our trust broken by people who we love and care for, and we've broken the trust of people who we've loved and cared for. See, the Bible puts it like this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is saying to us right here that you can't even trust yourself. You can't even trust your own heart, let alone the hearts and the intentions of other people. So where does that leave us? Does that mean that we should just blindly put our trust in everyone and that we should just be hurt all the time? Or does it mean we should isolate ourselves and trust no one? Like, where do we go from here? And that's the issue I want to try to address today in the time that I have. I'm probably going to go over. I apologize. No, I don't. The Bible talks a whole lot about trust, but never does the Bible say that you should put your trust in another human being. It actually talks about the object of our trust. And so if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in the book of Philemon. And you're like, Phi, what? I want to talk about the fragile currency of our trust. Now, Philemon is actually only like one chapter long. Honestly, it could be looked at like a text message. It's like 25 verses. So like that one time when that girlfriend of yours, usually because guys don't send but like one word text, sends you this really long text declaring her heart to you. This is basically what Paul did to Philemon. Poor Philemon. In fact, um, if you're new to the church today, you know, the most of the New Testament is made up of letters that Paul wrote to individuals and that God inspired. And now we use that as the way to instruct how we should live in this Christian life and to help us see the power that is of Jesus. But in this particular letter, Um, There's a unique sense that um, Paul is going to ask for a favor of someone that he's known for a while. Now, Paul writes this message from a Roman prison cell to a man named Philemon who's living in in the city of Colossae. But Paul met this guy years ago in Rome, and Philemon had become a Christian under Paul's ministry. So Paul's writing to him. So we're going to look at the a couple verses in verse starting in verse four it says i always thank my god as i remember you in my prayers because i hear your love for all his holy people and your faith in the lord jesus i pray that your partnership with us in faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of christ your love has given me 
uh, great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So what Paul's doing, he's saying, listen, I, I, I'm acknowledging the kind of person you are. I'm acknowledging the kind of heart that you have. I'm, I'm acknowledging the fact that you've actually lived your life very openly towards other people. Now he's getting ready to address the issue that's at hand. And in, in order for us to, to really understand it, let me give you a little bit of background. Philemon had this slave named Onesimus, okay? And there's something that I think happened between the two of them. And maybe um, I think Philemon had done, or Onesimus had done something wrong to Philemon. And, and I think vice versa, Philemon may have done something wrong to Onesimus. And so there's this break of trust in the relationship. And um, Paul is going to address this because, see, Onesimus then goes to Rome and, and through Paul becomes a follower of Christ. And now Paul is going to send Onesimus back to Philemon. And so he wants to kind of repair this relationship. So here's what he says in verse 8. It says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, now a prisoner in Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would, like, I would, I would have liked to keep him for me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but be voluntarily. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you welcome me. If he has done anything wrong, now I want you to catch this church. If he has done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. So Paul is addressing several different things in this correspondence. But one of the primary things he's doing, he's saying, listen, the two of you are followers of Jesus now, okay? That should actually change a whole lot about the way you interact with each other. And Paul basically is vouching for Onesimus. Now, if you've ever written a letter of recommendation for someone or you ever stuck your neck out and, and vouched for someone, you're putting your reputation on the line. And that's, this is what Paul is doing and actually a lot more. He's saying, listen, I know there's been some kind of break in the relationship and a break in trust in your past. Now I'm urging you, I'm urging and pleading with you both to do some trust rebuilding that has been lost in your relationship and as a result, probably lost in your life. Now, as you're reading this, maybe you thought, as I did, like, Paul, why is this such a big deal? Like, you're in prison. I mean, it's not like your life is insanely busy. You could do a lot other things. Why would you take this moment to send this letter to Philemon? Why is this such a big deal? Well, I think the reason why this is such a big deal is because Paul knew that what was going on between Philemon and Onesimus would be the same stuff that you and I experience every day on a daily basis now. Hundreds of years later, chances are in your life you had a relationship, and maybe if you're being honest, probably multiple relationships, in which your trust has been broken. And Paul desperately wants Philemon and Onesimus to keep the trust alive. He knew that their personal trust issues would have huge public 
ramifications. He understood that, right? And so Paul is not saying to Philemon that he just needs to get over it. He's not saying that it's not a big deal. In fact, he's saying, hey, look, I recognize that Onesimus may have done something wrong to you and you may have done something wrong to him. But I want you to know that if he's done anything wrong, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. Did you catch what Paul's doing there? Paul is loaning the trust of Onesimus to Philemon. Say, look, anything he's done, just just put it on me because you trust me, so put it on me. And, and, love, and love Onesimus, because I believe that this is super important. I want you to trust again. You see, it's, it's impossible for us to talk about our trust issues without talking about this little term that we call relational debt, okay? See, we all have it, and I want you to think of your own relationships. Maybe it's your friendship, your marriage, your relationship with your kids. Maybe it's your, your working relationship with your boss or coworkers, whomever it may be, right? If you're married, not married, you're in a dating relationship. Um, how do you assess how that relationship is going? How do you determine if it's going well? So think of it like this. We all have, some of, a lot of us have uh, checking and savings accounts, and if you don't, you should probably get one. Be good stewards of your money. That's a whole nother sermon for another day, right? We all have this checking account, right? And so we, we make withdrawals and deposits into that checking account, right? And the same thing can be said for relationships. So if you're like in a relationship and with a friend and a friend compliments you and a friend's there in a hard time and a friend's always showing up and a friend is always being considerate, well, that relationship account goes up, right? You build up trust because that friend is doing the things that make you feel good. The friend that's doing the thing that makes them a good friend, right? But if the friend stabs you in the back, the friend lies on you, the friend does something wrong to you, the friend hurts you, well, that relationship count goes down. Same can be said true for marriages or dating relationships, right? If your husband compliments you and he, he always tells you you look good and says your food tastes great and that you're the perfect wife in the world and that you never make him mad and all of these things, well, your relationship capacity goes up. But if your husband or wife is always telling you that you smell bad, you snore horribly, right? You're lazy, you're no good, you're not a great provider. If your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend does things to break your trust, they cheat, they do things like that, well, guess what? That relationship capacity goes down, right? We all have this relational debt. And so what happens is that when those relationship debts go down, we make a lot of withdrawals. So if you share something confidential with a friend and they take that information and they share it with others, then that's a relational withdrawal. That's a big one. If you have a boss that's constantly taking advantage of you and never says thank you, that's a relationship withdrawal. If you have a spouse who's done things to hurt you, that's a relationship withdrawal. It's a big one. And what ends up happening in our relationships is that if there are no deposits in that account and it just keeps withdrawing, withdrawing, eventually what? We end up foreclosing. We end up foreclosing on that relationship like, I just can't handle this anymore. This is not worth my time. I don't want to do this. I'm done. This relationship is over. You see, the object of our trust was this other person, and it really never should have been. Our object of trust should have never been that person. Let me, I'm just be real honest with you, married folks in the room. Your object of your trust should not be your husband and wife. <gasps> he said that. Boyfriend and girlfriends, the object of your trust should not be who you're dating. It shouldn't be your friends. It shouldn't be your boss. It shouldn't be your coworker. 
That's not who you should be placing your trust in. And that's the truth. In fact, if we go back to Jeremiah, this is what he says in verse five. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh. Look to your neighbor, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're just a human made of mere flesh. Okay? Now... Now, now look to your second choice of a neighbor and say that again. We're all just humans. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, hey, don't put your trust in human flesh. See, Jeremiah says, we rely on human strength. And guess what? They turn their hearts away from the Lord. That people will be like bush in the wasteland and they will not see prosperity when it comes. What he's talking about here is relational debt. He's saying, listen, we're all imperfect, flawed, broken, messed up people. Even if we don't want it to happen, guess what, church? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So when when we've been through enough withdrawals that have happened in our relationship and we get to a place like this, and we say, you know what, I'm tired of being taken advantage of. We write those people off of our lives, and maybe we have every reason to. I'll be the first to admit. You know, we have this term that we like to use a lot called exes, right? Raise your hand if you have an ex in your life. Some of you are like, I'm not admitting that in church today. We all have exes. We have ex-friends, ex-roommates, ex-bosses, ex-jobs, ex-husbands, ex-wives, ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends. Some of us would like to have ex-kids, okay? And so... uh, We all have exes, right? And we really don't have much of a relationship with them anymore, or maybe we kind of do because there's kids involved or whatever it may be, and it's fundamentally changed. There's really not a lot of hope to repair the relationship to what it used to be, right? And I guess we could live our lives that way, but do we have any more peace with that? Do we have any more joy with that if we just made everybody exes, right? And now this is This is where the book of Philemon comes in along, and Paul urges Philemon to trust again. Now, this is somewhat nuanced, and it's tricky, and I want you to hear, I want you to clearly hear me say this, church, is that I'm not saying that you need to actually let that person back in. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some boundaries that are established. I'm not even saying that you should allow access to your heart to them anymore. Actually, you probably shouldn't. In fact, um, especially in the case of there was any abuse or anything like that, what I am simply saying is this. Don't let that person stop you from trusting again. Don't let that person prevent you from having trust because they broke yours. You know, Paul puts his foot in the door and he says, hey, hey, don't go there, Philemon. Please keep the door open on trust. Trust wasn't the problem. It was the object of your trust that became the problem. It was the object. It was who you put your trust in that created your problem. You see, what happens is that the opposite of not trusting is to be a suspicious person. It's to just think, you know what, everybody's out to get you, and I'm not going to trust anyone, and I'm going to keep my heart locked down, and keep my gates closed, and I'm going to keep people at arm's length. You know what that's called? That's called being a cynic, right? Cynics will take anything you say, and they'll spin it. Cynics will take anything you say, and they'll reject it. And it literally has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the broken trust that they've had in their life that people have happened to them. And 
if I'm being honest this morning, there's a cynic that kind of sort of lives in all of us. We're all kind of cynics at some point. And here's what cynics do. Cynics project past hurts and betrayals on future opportunities and relationships. Like we've never met before, but because you were wearing that ugly San Francisco Giants jersey, I just automatically hate you because one time I went to the park and a Giants won and some guy spilled beer on me and I was done, right? I hate your guts. Or maybe it was a friend in high school or college and they made fun of you. And so now you see somebody who acts in that same way. So you automatically shut your life off to them. Maybe uh, a relationship, uh, whether it was uh, husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend hurts you. And so therefore now you're like, you know what? I'm never going to take that step to marriage or never going to date again. I'm never going to be in that job again. I'm never going to do anything like that because you know what? I've locked my heart down so that I can protect myself from being hurt. You know, when I was uh, in college, I, I had a job at the YMCA, and my boss, his name was Eddie, he hired me, and, you know, uh, over the time of working there, Eddie and I became really good friends. I mean, like, best friends, and I don't have a lot of best friends in my life. I never really did, um, but I really, really became really good friends with Eddie, and our families became really close together. We'd hang out all the time. We'd go on trips together. We went, played, watched basketball. We did a lot of stuff together. We became really good friends, even so much so that I remember uh, Christmas, December 25th, 2012. That morning, I get a phone call from Eddie. His wife just told him that she was leaving because she'd been in a same-sex relationship for years. And guess who gave up his Christmas to go spend time with him, to walk him through that difficult season of his life, only to four months later be fired Talk about destroying trust. And what it did is that it made it really hard for me to ever trust anybody in authority over me ever again. I was always closed off to anybody who was my boss. Never extended a hand because I didn't want to get hurt like that again. You see, what I did is I began projecting my past hurts on my future relationships. And I just locked everything down. Now, let me tell you, being a pastor... You know, and I I can only imagine for James and Katie and those that are on staff, I remember. But even in my context where we have a lot more people who know me than I know them, I'm always like a little leery about people who want to be my friend. Like, why would you want to be my friend? What's the purpose of you asking me to lunch? You see, because I have trust issues and I don't think what you want is going to be good for me. So I'm just going to keep you at arm's bay. I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to love you from afar, but I'm never going to let you in. And what I've had to learn is this idea of vulnerability. You ever heard that word before? Vulnerability. Here's what vulnerability says. I'm going to let you in even though I know you can hurt me. Now, I don't let a lot of people speak into my life because that'd be crazy and I'd be in the loony bin and that would not be a good thing. But what I've had to do is I've had to let some men in my life, into my life and some women to come in to say, you know what, Michael, here's where you're being an idiot. Here's where you're not being smart. Here's how the Lord is loving you and pushing you. What I've essentially done is given them the gun and the bullet because they could really do some damage. Like I'm going to share information with you that if you wanted to, you could destroy me. You could, you could really hurt me. And there's, there's, I, I have a couple of people in my life, one is in the room today, who I've given that, some information to that if they wanted to, they could really just destroy me. But you know what? That's the only way I can keep my trust issues. 
because I've trusted you with the information that I've got. That's how we keep our trust going. You see, God says, please do not shut the door on trust. Please keep it open. Please be a trusting person because the alternative is that you isolate yourself and you become hardened and you grow as a cynic. And I, Now listen, I think this is important for you to hear. If you're a cynic in the room, and I believe every one of us have times where we are a cynic, you need to understand this. You're not a bad person. You're not. You're a hurt person. You're not a bad person. You're a hurt person. And if your trust has been violated... Kerry Newhoff says it this way. He says, cynicism begins not because you don't care, but because you do care. You did care. You do care. And then somebody uh, hurt you. You had a bad experience, right? Somebody did something wrong and they hurt you. And you said, well, you know what? If this is what I'm going to get for trusting, I'm never going to do it again. So you go through a painful breakup and you lock your heart down. You have a controlling boss, and so you leave that job, and you take that baggage, and you go to a new job, and you project that baggage onto that new boss, right? You have a bad experience at church, and you say, you know what? I'm never going to church again. Or you say, you know what? I'm going to go to church, but I'm never going to get involved. I'm never going to be asked to do anything. If they ask me, hey, can you come stack chairs? I'm out. I'm out of here. No one's asking me to stack chairs. Trust me, I used to stack chairs in this place all the time. It is not fun, okay? So, right? I'm never doing it again. Here's what I want to ask you. In those moments, you've got to fight to keep a soft heart. You've got to fight to trust again, fight to trust, keep trust alive in your heart, and you have to stay vulnerable. You've got to stay vulnerable, right? So here's the, the, anti, the antidote to being, to being a cynic is to trust. Here's why. Trust leads to hope, and hope is the antidote. Don't let go of hope. But you say, well, Michael, these people have hurt me. And I get that. And so how do we position ourselves? Well, Jeremiah chapter 13 says this. God said, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. God says, put your trust and hope and your confidence in him, the one who is trustworthy. Here's what will happen. If you do, this is what Jeremiah writes. If you put your trust in the Lord, you will be planted like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worry in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now, we live in the state of drought worry, literally. It's like everybody's conversation. Oh, how's today? The drought is bad, right? And we've had unprecedented rain. You know, on a side note, that and all the time I lived in Paso, it rained two times. Okay. Now that we're back, it rains like every other day. So rude, this weather, okay? But when we, when we put our trust in the Lord, man, we'll never go astray. So the antidote is not to pull back and say, you know what, I'll never trust anybody again. No, that's not the solution. The solution is to put your roots deep in the Lord, to stay connected to the Lord and to develop the roots Now, can I just say to somebody who may be visiting for the first time, or maybe you've been away from church for a long time, or maybe you've been here and you're still just like, I I just don't know. Can I just tell you that this is what the Christian life is like? It's broken. It's flawed. It's hard. We get hurt, and we hurt others all the time. But that doesn't mean that we cannot trust. 
That doesn't mean that we can't open ourselves to trust. Now, the band's going to come, and they're going to sing this great song about freedom, that being free. And I want you to understand this, that the invitation today, and and maybe you're not fully convinced, but the message, I, I just want you to know this, that you can trust if you change the object of your trust. That no longer should you be trusting just the people that you, deal li- that you do life with. Like, I mean, you should trust your husband and your wife, but they are not the object of your trust. They are not the people who you hold everything and all of life together with. No, the object of your trust should be the one who created you, the one who sustained you, the one that made everything, the one that knows every single hair on your head, who loved you, who saw you at your worst and saw you at your greatest. That's the object of your trust. Because when you put your trust in the Lord, guess what? church, you don't have to worry about it anymore. The Lord has got your back, right? That's who we should put our trust in. That's who is going to sustain us. And when we put our trust in the Lord, guess what? Your relational account, Paul says it's immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. Father, we thank you that you're the God of all things. You're the God who created the world. You created everything we see, know, touch, feel, smell, and the things that we can't see, God. Lord, we know that you're faithful, that you've been the same. You've been who you are this whole time. You've never changed. Lord, your word is precious and honorable to us. We know you follow through. We know you never let us down. You say you'll never leave us and you've never forsaken us. And so God, because of that, we can trust in you. We can trust who you are. Lord, in everything, in all of our relationships, God. Lord, may our focus and our trust be in you first and no one else. Because if we trust you, Jesus, then our trust will flow to all the parts of our life that needs to be there. And listen, church, I I just want to tell you, I want you to hear me when I say this, that if you're hurting, that if you're broken, man, you are in no better place. In all my time of ministry, I've not found a better church that you can heal than right here at Highlands. We used to have this saying here, no perfect people allowed. Man, the church is the place that you find trust in Christ, not in a person, not in a pastor, not in a worship leader, no one else but Jesus. And this is the house where your trust gets healed. Will you be healed today? We pray this in Jesus' name. And the house said, amen. Amen.